Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Every three months, Peterson Toscano of Citizens Climate Radio steps in to guest host Spirit in Action, and today is your lucky day. For something like four years, Peterson has been sharing with our listeners the fruits of his artistic and creative talents applied to the insightful and thoughtful and vitally needed topic of dealing with climate change. Peterson's combination of theatrical skills with a deeply empathetic approach to concerns wrapped up in a healing spirituality is a gift to all of us who choose to listen to his Citizens Climate Radio work. Today's program is special to me in that it combines voices to span the painful gulf that has grown between especially the often secular left and the often conservative religious right. Just when you may have thought that there was no hope for healing the rift in the American body politic, along comes Peterson Toscano to lift up hopeful, dedicated voices from where you might not have expected them. Usually, Peterson has been broadcasting from Pennsylvania, but for at least the near future, he's speaking to us from across the Atlantic Ocean. It's so good to have him back. Over to you, Peterson. Thank you, Mark. It's a joy to be back on Spirit in Action, and greetings from my new home in Mgwenya, South Africa. I've been looking forward to this episode for some time. In 2020, I took part in a series of encouraging and inspiring conversations with some conservative Christians and a national evangelical leader. We talked about creation care. Until those conversations, I was not a big fan of the term. Creation care sounded to me like climate action light with a sprinkle of religion on top. Wow, (laughs) was I wrong about that? You will hear four different Christians speaking with conviction, urgency, and enthusiasm. They're not playing around when it comes to addressing the problems facing us because of the pollution we have put into the world. In a time when the partisan divide in the United States seems wider and more dangerous than ever before, I hope these conversations will encourage you. More so, I hope they challenge you to see climate change as a bridge issue that will bring us together to face a common, tricky problem that impacts all of us. The following conversations all appeared on Citizens Climate Radio. In episode 55, Climate Change and Creation Care, What Would Jesus Do?, I featured Kelsey Grant, Andrea Zink, and Lindsay Linsky. Later in the program, you will also hear from Reverend Tony Campolo, who I interviewed for episode 56. He talks about the biblical mandate for Christians to save creation from human destruction. So, let's dive into these conversations that I believe will enlighten, challenge, and encourage you. But first, I share with you a conversation I had with two Christian women. It's a conversation unscripted and from the heart. So Andrea Zink, I grew up in Middle Tennessee, a little bit north of Nashville, Went away to school and went away with one of my husband's jobs for a couple years, but we have been back now for about five years and I'm really loving being back in the South. Kelsey Grant. Yeah, so I was born and raised in the outskirts of Tucson, Arizona. 
When I was 14, I moved to Boulder, Colorado with my family, which is where I still am and where I'm a student at CU Boulder. I'm a political science and philosophy major. How do you identify as a person, as a person of faith, politically? How do you identify? And we'll start with Andrea. It's hard to think about who I am without thinking of myself as a Christian because I feel like it integrates so much of the core of, of who I see of myself as being a child of God and a Christian and just kind of how I view the world. What about you, Kelsey? I was born and raised in a Methodist church. My dad was a minister. My granddad was a minister. Great-granddad was a minister. All the uncles, everybody was a minister. So in many ways, I inherited my faith tradition. But as I got older, it became something that was much more personal to me. It no longer started to resemble just a tradition. Politically, um, I'm a registered independent who over time has kind of drifted into the Republican political world. I'm a climate advocate because I am a Christian. So Andrew, what about you politically? And is there any tie into your faith with your politics? I was in a, a very bad car accident about five years ago. It was a pretty traumatic experience. I was in the hospital for like three months. I had a lot of time on my hands to think during that experience and also through trauma, experienced God in a way that I had not before in my life. I learned many, many things throughout my injuries and then just recovery afterwards. It took about probably about two years to really fully recover. I had a lot of time on my hands to start reading and getting more involved in just learning about issues, which I'm sad to say before that I really, you know, I always voted, but I just hadn't gotten super into politics, I would say. So I still kind of identify as an independent. I do lean conservative in some of my views on issues. There's this assumption out there, climate change is either a scientific issue or an issue for left-leaning environmentalists with their sandals and hippie clothes. How has your faith pushed you into the world of climate change? I, um, <laughs> I'm happy you, you used the word hippie in your question. Before a few years ago, I was actually under the impression that being an environmentalist meant that you were a hippie or something like that. I didn't fit well into that that image and mold. I actually, for a long time, didn't even think environmental problems or climate change was a Christian problem. I didn't think it was relevant to my faith tradition. But when I became a Sunday school teacher, so I've actually been a Sunday school teacher since I was 13, off and on, in the Sunday school classroom was actually where I started to develop my passion for environmental stewardship. I was frequently having to encounter scripture, having to teach children lessons. Slowly over time, I started to connect the dots between problems that this world was facing and what my faith tradition was asking of me. I started to question my previously held beliefs about the role of my faith. And I started to realize that, that um, environmental stewardship was fundamental to Christianity. I am definitely not a scientist, so I don't come at this from a scientific perspective at all. I mean, I've just always loved nature. And so I think of it really as just almost like connecting to creation through God's love for us, that God has provided this beautiful 
earth and provided all that we need as humans to sustain us, you know, what is our role in that as Christians and that we are here to, to steward it? Am I being a good steward? I really see it as just being a, a part of being a Christian. Climate and environmental stewardship is not progressive leftist issue. It, it appears like this, the conservative values align with environmental stewardship. When I think about my faith and how that motivates me in my work as a climate advocate, I think about responsibility. It is not responsible to leave behind a, a destroyed planet and environment for our children where they, they can't thrive in the way that we did. You know, when you are given a gift, you do not treat it recklessly or poorly or fail to take care of it. No, you, you, you nurture and you, and you cherish it. Doing those things, it's really, it's really giving like honor to God, showing gratitude to God for our gifts that we have through creation. In regards to climate change, what's the sin and how do we repent? Mm. I was in a Bible study recently where they were talking about the story of Adam and Eve and about how like the original sin was wanting to be God, essentially, wanting to have control and dominion and have all of the wisdom that God had, placing ourselves in a position that we are not the stewards, but we are are trying to put ourselves as the people in control and not allowing God to be in control. So that might be part of it. These are strong words. I think in many ways we are playing with God's grace by ignoring climate change. It's a grave mistake to say that no matter what we do to our planet, we will be okay because God's grace will be there to save us. And I don't know where this idea came from because that is not how God's grace works. God's grace does not mean that we are free from the consequences of our actions. It's sinful for us to treat our planet so recklessly and expect that God will be there to swoop in to save us from the consequences of our actions. How did we get here? This is a scary issue. I'm not an alarmist, or I don't view this in apocalyptic terms, but this is a big issue, it's really difficult to confront the fact that I think in many ways we have mistreated our our planet, that this mistreatment came out of something that started out as good, you know, fossil fuels, and eventually turned into something that was destructive. It's so complicated. It's really hard to think, you know, how do we turn ourselves back around? I think the first step in doing that is going to be an incredible act of, of courage and faith. I mean, if we're looking at Jesus as our example, like what kind of example is that? What kind of love and service did Christ show us? That requires us changing ourselves, I guess, is what I'm getting to. It's like you surrender that to God's will, then relating that to climate. Are we willing to change? If we repent and if we are taking responsibility, are we willing for us to change in our personal lives, but also collectively with the larger issue of fossil fuels. What does a positive vision for our energy future look like without that? And that's sometimes difficult for people to envision. Like they don't know what that looks like yet. Hmm. What does this hopeful energy future look like? What are the solutions that are going to be effective and can be good for our economy and good for our families and, and everything that we all care about? I luckily stumbled across Citizens Climate Lobby, which I've learned so much about this issue. 
yes, there's this problem, but here's our solution. So I think finding those positive solutions to work towards has really helped me feel empowered. And it also helps to sustain me in this work to be able to see that and through my volunteering have learned how to be more active politically and being able to articulate myself and advocate for change. After I went through that process of evaluating why as a Christian should I be doing something about climate change, one value that kept coming to mind was the value of love. And I actually probably shouldn't call it a value because in my view, God is love. So I think saying it's a value minimizes love. But I kept thinking about love. I was like, it's the most important um, principle and, and guiding value in, in my faith tradition. That value is actually what led me to CCL, oddly enough. You know, I found an organization that takes very seriously the bipartisan cause, taking people who often can't stand each other, dislike one another, struggle to see the good in each other. They get them to break those habits and to see the good in one another, to learn how to love one another, get along, see the best in each other. And that was something that really appealed to me by trying to build these bridges and in our, our, our country, which is hurting and aching due to polarization and, and division. I found out that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be someone who could kind of stand in the middle and to bring our brothers and sisters who, who hate each other too often and bring them together. But my service to the climate costs come in, in the form of me serving people and helping to kind of maneuver this middle space where we try to foster bipartisanship and common understanding and love between different people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's the work of reconciliation mm. is what you're, it sounds like you're talking about. And that we too then become people who help reconcile the world and bring the balance and bring peace mm -hmm. in. If you are a progressive Christian, I would encourage you to please get out there and to directly confront and seek to mend our broken public discourse and, and to be one of the people standing in the middle building relationships, reaching your hand out to conservative Christians, Republicans, or whatever, being an agent of change that works towards fostering bipartisanship and, and directly confronts this ugly political discourse. Because as a Christian, you are not called to do what is easy. You are called to do what is very difficult in modern America that is directly engaging with nasty politics and polarization. Ultimately, that's our goal as Christians is to love God, glorify God, and exemplify God in all that we do. That includes to our neighbors and to this creation that he's given us. So thank you both for joining me on this conversation. Absolutely. And to both of you, yeah, at one point in this discussion, I was actually getting a little bit emotional when I was asking myself, you know, how did we get here? Will we actually turn ourselves around? I don't know if we will, but I have a lot of hope and faith that we will. I just know that moving ourselves in the right direction will require a great act of, of courage and faith. I have faith that the Christian community can, can do that.
always a conversation with Andrea Zink in Tennessee and Kelsey Grant in Boulder, Colorado. If you would like to share with me your own faith journey and how it inspires the work that you do, contact me by email, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Now it is time for the Art House. Joining us in the Art House is Lindsay Linsky. She's lived most of her life in the American South and currently lives in Georgia. She describes herself as a Christian, a mother, and a creation care advocate. With a background in teaching science, she now helps prepare others to work in the classroom. I work with future teachers and help teachers to get ready for the classroom, which is getting more and more difficult these days. Reading the Bible with an awareness of believers' responsibility to care for creation has very much shaped her faith. With her book, Lindsay seeks to connect with fellow believers in need of new direction. I like to say that Keep It Good is an environmental book for Christians who have never read an environmental book in their lives. The book that you might give to your conservative Christian friend or coworker that denies climate change on the basis of his or her faith. This book kind of borrows from Jesus' teaching style, just loving, friendly, patient, and story-based frequently, to gently correct those misconceptions because, you know, gosh, finger-pointing judgment doesn't work. Neither does gloom and doom a lot of the time. In the book's introduction, Lindsay explains, Each chapter in Keep It Good begins with a parable rooted in biblical principles. These modern parables, she scripted, model concepts she wants the reader to consider. We see the unfolding story of a young couple on their wedding day. As the book progresses, she returns to them as we see the risk, challenges, and the moral dilemmas that come up in the intervening years. Through her own reflections, Lindsay helps readers see these parables as small-scale examples of much larger-scale issues. With stories, you can step out of your own world and into the shoes of another for a moment and experience the emotions that go with that. The stories are powerful. Stories really stick with us. Lindsay wrote her book with a very clear mission to reach a specific audience. Every aspect of the book is geared to this audience, including the title. The title came later. I I was trying to appeal to someone that has never or would never pick up an environmental book, um, but that also took their faith seriously. I settled on Keep It Good because God said it is good, and I believe that one of our roles as Christians is to keep it that way. Who is her audience? Conservative Christians that I call the eco-hesitant. I don't call them hoaxers. I don't call them climate deniers. I feel like labels with negative connotations have the opposite effect. I want to help tear down walls instead of reinforcing them. Specifically, eco-hesitant people that hold on to misconceptions and believe that God doesn't care about what we do with His creation. Perhaps they picked up some of these misconceptions from TV, or there are some, not all, but some preachers that preach these as well. You know, like, God gave Adam and Eve dominion, so that means that we can just do whatever we want, or God gave us all things for our enjoyment, and so some take that to mean that means we can just take, 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 and, and enjoy the hell of it, out of it. Those are misconceptions. 
there's a lot of science education research on misconceptions. It, it's actually harder to unlearn something that is a misconception than it is to learn something brand new. So it is a process. Students can't learn something they're not ready for. You have to know basic math before you can do algebra. You have to be able to read before you can analyze poetry. I mean, it's plain and simple. The readers I'm trying to reach believe God doesn't care about creation. If they really think God doesn't care and they're serious Christians, then why should they care about their carbon footprint? No, they won't. They need to understand creation care and our role in creation first before that conversation will be effective. Lindsay seeks to put readers at ease and to encourage them to trust her in what she has to say. She writes, quote, Contrary to every other book I've seen on this topic, you will not see the words global warming or climate change anywhere in this book other than this sentence. So that comment in the introduction was an attempt to set a friendly tone and show them that I'm an ally and to settle in their minds that, you know, I'm not coming at them with some talking head agenda because they watch very closely for that. The focus is on scripture and the biblical basis to help them understand how that particular creation disregard type of thinking is flawed. I feel like we're always looking for some silver bullet argument that's going to magically wake people up. But according to Ed research on how children unlearn the wrong things, which I think is very true for adults as well, maybe even more so, it's a process. Pedagogy is important, I guess. <laughs> In episode 30, What Does the Bible Say About Climate Change? I asked my guest, if heaven is our real home, what is earth? A temporary shelter? A rental property where we bide our time before we come into our internal inheritance? It's like saying, well, I'm going to get rid of this body when I go to heaven. You know, I can just live like hell and smoke and everything else here on earth. Another thing I like to say, you know, when this comes up is, is to go with them because you're referencing the new heaven and new earth. There's a verse about it in Revelation. You can go with them on that and say, gosh, yeah, that new heaven, new earth will be perfect. You know, there won't be illnesses. Oh, wait, so does that mean we don't need to care about the sick people here on earth? Or, oh gosh, there, there won't be poverty. So wait, we're thinking along those lines, does that mean we shouldn't care about the people in poverty here on earth? You know, that's the same goes for the homeless and those in prison. And of course, they, they, they can't say that because all of those things are specifically listed in Matthew 25 when Jesus gives very specific instructions about caring for those in prison and those in the homeless and so forth. He says that in Matthew 25, that's what he's going to do is separate the sheep from the goats. Gosh, think about the hospitals, all the visible things that happened in the world on the basis of Christians following that particular scripture. You know, Saint fill-in-the-blank hospital and all the charities and all of the different things. And I'm like, how in the world did we miss this for so long? Here is the parable of Jesus Lindsay is referencing. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. In the parable, the people recognized for these good works are genuinely perplexed. Wait, when did we do these things to help you? And he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Lindsay sees how this teaching of Jesus has inspired his people to start a multitude of ministries that care for the sick, the hungry, and those in prison. She then shared with me an often overlooked Old Testament passage about the Good Shepherd and his sheep. Gosh, I wish I could have all of your listeners write down Ezekiel thirty-four seventeen. It's so powerful. And as for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Listen to what he says in the rest of the metaphor. Is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Yes, the immediate needs are incredibly important. And we built all these hospitals and that's so great. What about the condition we are leaving the pasture? You want to breathe the clean air of the suburbs. I certainly understand why you would want that, but but you want to drive your giant SUVs from the suburbs into the city for work? Who lives there? Who's breathing all the smog from all those giant SUVs driving into the city every day? Okay, who lives next to the landfills? You know, who are the people that that's the only rent they can afford and lives next to the landfills because nobody else wants to live there? Half the world is completely dependent on, on fish for their main source of protein. And you think about ocean acidification. If we are serious about following Jesus and doing what the Good Shepherd told us to do, then we also have to be serious about caring for the pasture that sustains his flock. In a moment, you will hear the rest of my interview with Lindsay Linsky. Then we will conclude the show with a powerful and moving message from Reverend Tony Campolo. Stay tuned. I'm sorry to have to butt in, Peterson, but I wanted to remind our listeners that you're tuned in to Spirit in Action, and that means you'll find us on northernspiritradio.org, along with all of our programs, both Spirit in Action and Song of the Soul, of the past 15 and a half years. So listen in, download, follow links to our guests, and remember to comment on the shows. Provide your feedback. Help us to hear you. You can also click on Support Us to contribute to our work, given that we depend on you, not on corporations or the government, to make our programs function and flourish. But before helping out Northern Spirit Radio, first make sure you support your local community radio stations, like the 42 or so stations that carry our programs. Support local media, not limited by corporate motives, but championed by your friends and neighbors, and then consider helping out Northern Spirit Radio. 
Enough about this. Back to guest host Peterson Toscano and Citizens Climate Radio and the second half of their program for today's Spirit in Action. In a moment, you will hear the conclusion of my conversation with Lindsay Linsky. She's talking about creation care and her book, Keep It Good, Understanding Creation Care Through Parables. In a moment, you're also going to hear from Reverend Tony Campolo. I sat down with Reverend Campolo last year, and he had some pretty hard words to say about the Christian church. And he had some pretty harsh things to say about Christian leaders in America and that they have lost the way. He's calling them back to consider creation care. What you're listening to today are excerpts from Citizens Climate Radio. We're a monthly program that is released as a podcast through Citizens Climate Education. We look at climate change from some pretty unexpected angles, looking at it from the perspective of people who are seeking solutions. But some of these are not your typical players. We've spoken with professional baseball players and race car drivers. We speak to people from conservative and progressive backgrounds, and we often include artists in the conversation because art opens up the heart as well as the mind. You can find Citizens Climate Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, then definitely leave a review at Apple Podcasts. If you have any suggestions or requests for the show, contact me, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Now let's return to our conversation with Lindsay Linsky. Next month, I will have a guest who will also share a strong message to Christians about the need to care for the planet and each other. Tony Campolo led the Evangelical Association for the Promotion of Education for over 40 years. He's written over 50 books for believers, including a book about creation care he published in 1993. In it, he writes... If nature is to be saved, then men have to be delivered from the models of manliness that have thus far guided the socialization of so many of them. Men have to learn that maturity requires taking on some qualities which they hitherto have deemed fit only for women. They must learn sensitivity and gentleness. They must learn empathy and the joy of yielding in love. They must learn how to feel in new ways that have hitherto been considered soft and sentimental. Only a new breed of men imbued with such qualities can be trusted with a creation which gives every evidence of being fragile and easily hurt. I asked Lindsay about Tony Campolo's thoughts on masculinity and the planet. One of the misconceptions God gave Adam and Eve dominion in the in the Garden of Eden is so some take that to mean, well, we can just do whatever we want. You know, we are dominant. You know, <laughs> that thinking is flawed, perhaps, but like he, like he was saying, because of our, our view of masculinity and dominion. And one of the misconceptions God gave Adam and Eve dominion in the, in the Garden of Eden. So some take that to mean, well, we can just do whatever we want. You know, we are dominant. You know, <laughs> that 
thinking is flawed, perhaps, but like he like he was saying, because of our, our view of masculinity and dominion. And you know, I look at it more along the lines of you know, it's it's not our creation. You know, God's the God's the owner and CEO of this you know creation, and we're the managers of the property. We can also think of dominion. Okay, kings and queens. What type of rulers are we? Yeah, think of Robin Hood. Are we being more like King Richard? You know, <laughs> the what that was all wonderful and and loving, or um, are we more like Prince John? That is just take take taking from <laughs> our subjects. Yeah, I haven't thought about it in terms of of masculinity per se, but yeah, that dominion piece is a big stumbling block for some. Lindsay Linsky's book is an excellent resource for those people who do not yet hear the call to embrace creation care. My favorite conversations are from people who are the eco-hesitant and had never picked up an environmental book in their lives. Although they haven't said it publicly, they have come to me privately and said, wow, you have really changed the way I look at creation and at what I'm supposed to do in creation. Some people that you (laughs) would never believe. So maybe they're not quite ready to say that publicly, but it's also like the misconception thing. It's a process and the seeds have been planted. And I believe it's, I believe the tide's about to turn on that front. For more on Lindsay Linsky and her book, Keep It Good, Understanding Creation Care Through Parables, Search for it at goodreads.com. Lindsay is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, Linsky, L-I-N-S-K-Y. Don't worry, I have links in our show notes. Just visit citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog. If you have an idea for the Art House, feel free to contact me, radio at citizensclimate.org. Reverend Tony Campolo led the Evangelical Association for the Promotion of Education for more than 40 years. He's written over 50 books on topics that have educated and challenged his evangelical Christian audience. He's well known for talking about the issues that many of his fellow Christian leaders have avoided, and he's a straight talker. Tony Campolo has also been ahead of his time on a variety of social issues, In 1992, he published the book, How to Rescue the Earth Without Worshipping Nature, A Christian Call to Save Creation. In the book, he seeks to help believers see they have a role to play in caring for creation. Reverend Campolo, who is 85 and has never retired, suffered a stroke a few months ago. He's at home, recovering with the help of his wife, Peggy. Before the pandemic and before his stroke, I was fortunate enough to sit down with Tony and ask him about his 1992 book. I was especially curious about his thoughts now, 30 years later. I wrote a book that was published in 92 called How to Rescue the Earth Without Worshipping Nature. It was a book on environmentalism, on ecology. At the time, the people who I was running with were rather sophisticated representatives of the social awareness community. They said to talk on this subject was to be a little ahead of the curve, but was probably the most important topic that you could deal with. It has the destiny of the planet riding with this issue. So it's been 30 years since he started writing the book, What Has Changed? 
I'm not sure that the issues have changed that much. More than climate change, there was a, an awareness that we were polluting the atmosphere. The kinds of problems they're running into in places like Hong Kong, in places like Beijing, where people can't even breathe the air. This became a major concern. Are we going to get diseases? Are we going to have cancer? Climate change is the newest hot button of all environmentalism because the evidence is clear that the temperature of the earth is going up every year. If we're going to take climate change seriously, if we're going to save the environment, if we're going to save the earth from destruction, it's going to cost us. This is not a freebie. This is not a cute little thing you do on the side. This has to be a major commitment. As we spoke, Reverend Campolo revealed his frustration with fellow ministers. Back in the 1990s, he accused them of not listening to God's voice in regards to the mandate to care for creation. And he continues to judge Christian leaders harshly for ignoring the Bible's direction and instead letting worldly priorities guide them. Sitting across from me at his dining room table, without consulting any notes or having his 1992 book in front of him, Reverend Tony Campolo preached a creation care sermon filled with fiery zeal. In fact, I didn't need to ask any more questions. He just poured out his heart, his anguish, his his outrage, his wisdom. I was unprepared for the fire brimstone, and call to action he unleashed. So, gird your loins and hear what this minister has to say. There are 1,500 Christian radio stations that 24 hours a day are blaring away the agenda of the Republican Party And they, in fact, raise the issue. And they say, I think these people who are talking about climate change and environmentalism, they're a bunch of subversives. What they want to do is destroy American industry. And don't you know that American wealth generated through industry is what is keeping the missionary enterprise alive? Look at the missionaries around the world and look at all the money that they get from Americans. Without American prosperity, a missionary work would die around the world. They don't read the Bible very much because the Bible is heavily committed to environmentalism. The most obvious passage in the New Testament comes out of the eighth chapter of Romans where it says all of creation is groaning, is suffering, is in travail. It's suffering even until now. And the next line is this, waiting. And you say, waiting for what? Waiting for the second coming, for the trumpet of the Lord to sound? What are we waiting for? Waiting for the sons and daughters of God. Waiting for us to invade the world in which we live and bring it the redemptive power that Christ has called us to exercise as we save nature from its disintegration. To not be caring for the environment, to not worry about what's happening to the atmosphere, to not be concerned about climate change is to violate the admonitions of God. Do read all the books on this subject, and then do what I think the Bible calls you to do, to respond to the suffering planet and to rescue it from degradation. Global warming is severe, 
And it's there because we have people who are more concerned about satisfying their own desires than worrying about what is good for others. To be Christian, to be biblical, is to put others above the self. Hendrik Burkhoff, in the classical study that he made of the Pauline expression, principalities and powers, if you read through any of the epistles, you'll find his constant reference to principalities and powers. The verse that almost everybody knows who knows the epistles is Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not just against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this age. Principalities and powers, best translated, are superhuman entities that influence human behavior. The Pentecostals say, oh, principalities and powers, they're evil spirits. Yes, they are, but they're more than that. They're any superhuman entities or forces that are influencing human behavior. Does television influence human behavior? Yes, it's a principality and power. Does the educational system influence human behavior? Yes, it is. Does government? Yes, it is. These are all principalities and powers, and we are called upon to wrestle against them. And in the first chapter of Ephesians, it says, and we are to bring all these principalities into submission, there's the word submission, to Christ, not to ourselves, to Christ. And the instrument for doing this is the next line, through the church. That's the calling of the church, to call upon its people, to bring the principalities in power, government, the media, uh, the educational system, the economic system, to bring it all into submission to Christ, that Christ's will may be done. The task of the church is to be a voice for those who have no voice. As they're burning down the jungles in the Amazon and destroying the oxygen-producing trees, we have to recognize that we are not the primary sufferers, you and I. We live here in the quote-unquote Western world, whatever that means. But what about the indigenous people who live in those jungles? Their homelands are being destroyed. They're being driven off their land. And as the climate changes, you can be sure of one thing. The last people to be suffering are those of us who are like me, who are affluent. I mean, you're in my home. This is a lovely place to live. The people that live in this retirement community with me are all affluent. We're not going to suffer. It's going to be the poor people suffer. When we begin to suffer, that's when the skies will go up and say, we've got to do something about the environment. The truth is that rich people can ignore the problem. Poor people can't. And the time has come for us to recognize that the task of the church is to be a voice for those who have no voice, to speak for those who cannot be heard. And that's what Jesus did. And he called upon us to be concerned about those who referred to as the least of the brethren, the least of the sisters. In my young days, and for most of the evangelical church, preaching the gospel is the good news of what Christ will do for you when you die. And hence, salvation was getting ready for death. I remember when I was 12 years old, the minister preaching from the pulpit, yelling, are you ready to die? I'm 12 years old, man. I don't want to die. Are you ready to die? The emphasis is there. It's clear. That was the message of the church. That was evangelism. I preach that people should go to Christ. They ought to surrender to the Lord. They ought to invite the Holy Spirit into their lives. Not in order to die and go to heaven. Salvation is not getting a ticket for the, into the next world. 
salvation is getting cleansed from sin and filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can become the instrument of God to work in this world. That's where they get upset. They're saying, you're too concerned with this world. No, nobody was more concerned with this world than Jesus. Read the most famous verse of scripture. For God so loved, what's the next phrase? The world. The world. The word there is cosmos. The world and everything is in it. We've got a God who loves this world. He sent his son into the world to die for this world, to rescue not only us from sin, but his salvation is for all of creation. He came to save all of creation, not just ourselves. In the book, I go back to ways in which the doctrines of John Calvin, who gave birth to the Presbyterian movement and the Reformed Church movement, who became the dominant theologian of America, if not the Western world. John Calvin's theology has permeated our thinking more than we're ready to recognize. I hope that changes and I see signs of that changing. John Calvin made it clear that we have this mandate from God to rule creation, to bring all of creation into subjection to us. John Calvin, who talks about bringing the world and women into subjection, and he talks about both of those things, uh, using the teachings of Paul to say, see, the Bible calls us to put women into subject. Wives, be subject to your husbands, even as, uh, you know, you've heard those passages. This concept of subjugation propagated has such a contrast to St. Francis of Assisi. He doesn't call upon us to dominate nature, to dominate women, to show our masculinity by being control freaks. He calls upon us to live in harmony with nature, to recognize the sun and the moon as siblings, my brother, my sister. And I picked this up in the book. He calls upon nature to worship God. He does preach to the birds, and he calls upon them to chirp as unto the Lord. He calls upon cows to moo unto the Lord. We sing hymns with all the right words that hymn, join with all nature in manifold witness. Whoa, that's part of a hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, this, to join with nature, to live in harmony. That's Francis. When we sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, Praise him what? All creatures here below, not just human beings. We are to live in harmony with nature. When I was a boy, I remember the minister saying, go out in the night and look at the galaxies and the stars and realize that all of this was created for man to enjoy. Man to enjoy. The reality is the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the heavens were created to declare the glory of God, not the glory of humanity. We are so anthropomorphic and so human-centered that we think that the whole universe exists for our benefits and we have every right to exploit it for our own enjoyment and nature be damned as long as it serves our well-being. Living in submission, living in harmony, these are the themes of Jesus. These are the themes of the Bible. And yet we have propagated a message of Christianity that calls upon us to exercise domination. And that became the basis whereby the British dominated the world, the way in which men have dominated women, in which white men have in fact dominated other races. The idea is that power is what it's all about. And that attitude of power and domination, that's what's driving us to destroy nature, 
We're dominating. We're bringing nature into subjection instead of, as St. Francis said, living in harmony with nature. The uh, great concept that my colleague Ron Sider made very popular was the concept of the year of Jubilee. If you go to the 25th chapter of Leviticus, it talks about the fact that to be people of God, we should observe the seventh day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then there was the seventh year, that every seven years, the farmer was to allow land to rejuvenate. No crops were to be planted. You got to give the land a chance to rejuvenate, to come back to life. It's there. To be godly is to care for the earth. That was Reverend Tony Campolo, author of How to Rescue the Earth Without Worshiping Creation. Learn more about Reverend Campolo over at his website, TonyCampolo.org. That's TonyCampolo.org. That was Reverend Tony Campolo. It was very moving for me to be with the Campolos. Since that interview, Tony suffered a stroke over the summer of 2020. He's recovering at home with Peggy, his wife, looking after him. And he definitely would appreciate your prayers as he goes through this difficult time. But he's already spoken out. He gave a very powerful Christmas message. I get encouraged when I hear about a variety of people talking about climate change. And clearly, it's an issue that affects everybody. It doesn't affect us equally. As we've heard, it affects some people more than others. But it affects all of us, and it's definitely all of our responsibility to do something about it. To them who have been given much, much is required. And for those of us with means and privilege here in the United States, we can do an awful lot. In the next episode of Citizens Climate Radio, which airs later in February, I speak with Representative Bob Inglis. He's a former representative, Republican, from the state of South Carolina. And he has really taken a stand on climate change and creation care. He's very conservative in many, many of his stances. And he sees climate change as an issue that affects all of us. Here's a sample of what you'll hear in the next episode of Citizens Climate Radio. Bob Inglis talks a little bit about his experience. You'll also hear Quaker folk singers Annie Patterson and Peter Blood. They join us on the episode as well, talking about songs that motivate us to action. Citizens Climate Education encourages bipartisan support for climate solutions. While people on the left, right, and in the middle might disagree on many issues, Climate change is one that can bring us together. People have been gracious to me, extended grace to me, because I, you know, was six years in Congress saying it's nonsense. After being out six years of practicing commercial real estate law, I came back to Congress with a different affect. I was accepted, have been accepted by many who could have shunned me for those six years of being on the wrong side of this. People of the left, please show grace to those that we're going to add to the conversation. Tide is rising, and so are we. The tide is rising, and so are we. The tide is rising, and 
In that interview, you'll also hear me ask him about Tony Campolo and this idea of questioning the kind of people we need to be. I think you'll be pleased to hear Bob Inglis's answer. You can hear Citizens Climate Radio wherever you get podcasts. We're a project of Citizens Climate Education. We believe in bipartisan solutions to take on these tricky problems. Even if there is a majority of one party over the other, the divide is so narrow that we really need to have all hands on deck. So when you ever get a chance to speak to a member of Congress, please let your member of Congress know that you care about climate change and you're looking for a solution. Thank you so much for joining me for this time here in Spirit in Action. You heard excerpts from my monthly program, Citizens Climate Radio. It's available wherever you get podcasts. To learn more, visit citizensclimatelobby.org. If you want to correspond with me, I'm very active on Twitter. You can tweet at me at P2Sun. That's the letter P, the number two, S-O-N. My website is petersontoscano.com. Now, I hand back the controls to Mark Helpsmeet. Thanks, Peterson, for taking the controls for the past almost an hour and for your heart, society, and world healing work for today's Spirit in Action program. And listeners, I want you to know that I'm eager to welcome in other guest hosts. And in fact, in just a few weeks, you'll have the opportunity to hear a new guest host from Spirit in Action. Her name is Sunny Gardner, and her programs are Groundswell and Lightly on the Ground. Out of Richmond, Virginia, But as I said, that's a few weeks down the road. I'm hosting next week when my guests will be Rodney Long Jr. and Salika Lawton, so we'll see you then for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo.